Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here. And before we jump into this, I'm just so grateful that I get to be a part of a community of people who are so generous and so loving and love Chattanooga so well. It's amazing um, to watch that video and see that and hear some more stories in that and around that. It's, it's incredible. So I'm just so grateful. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your partnership in this. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really cool, and I'm grateful. Uh, also grateful that we can jump into the next part of the series, part three of the series we're doing called The God Jesus Knows. And the reason we're doing a series called The God Jesus Knows is because so often, I think, I think this is true about so many of us, so often our perspective of God or our understanding of God um, is not defined really by God. So often our perspective of God or our understanding of God is defined more by us and our experiences than by God. So often, you know, when we're wanting to know what God is like, you know, viscerally, emotionally sometimes, it's not based on what we study about God or read about God or even what God says. It's more based on things like our own lives, our own upbringing, our own experiences, the good ones and the bad ones. And it's very often the bad ones that define viscerally or emotionally what we think about God and where's God and what's he doing. So often our perspective or understanding of God is more defined by our own thoughts than his sometimes, and sometimes by other people's opinions rather than who he is. And before I dive into the idea that we're going to look at today, I want to ask you a, you know, a question related to that. How would you feel <laughs> if before I got to know you, before I uh, you know, heard about you from you, I heard about you from someone else. <laughs> and I formed my opinions about you based on what somebody else said. Or I formed my opinions on you based on someone else that impacted me that reminds me of you. And I didn't like them. <laughs> How would you feel about that? And then before I even heard your perspective, who you are, I kind of wrote you off and said, no thanks, don't wanna know you. I, I know I'd get hurt. I'd feel like, that's unfair. What can I, you know, hey, can I say something? And I think, I think there are millions and millions of people around the world, you know, we do that relationally all the time in some ways, I think, but I think there are millions and millions of people around the world who, who have fallen into that sort of way of thinking with God. And again, I don't blame them because it's a reality of this life. We, we often bump into that. We often have our own thoughts and, and how do we get an understanding of God? He's invisible. I mean, how do you figure this out? And so, so but I think that reality has happened with millions and millions of people where, where, where we've kind of written God off or didn't want to know more about him because of my thoughts or my experiences or what I I heard or something like that. And here's the cool thing. The cool thing is that Christianity teaches that that's exactly why Jesus came. One of the reasons why Jesus came. He came, Christianity teaches, because he wanted to take the assumption out of the equation. He wanted to take the, the confusion out of the equation that Christianity teaches that when Jesus came, he decided to, so that we don't have to be going, okay, what's God like? That God decided to enter into this world physically, historically, so we could look at a tangible picture, a historical picture of who God is. Jesus came and said, hey, I want you to look at me because I am the best representation of who God is. And so we can read his words, we can look at history and know that he died on behalf of others. I mean, it's crazy. And as you look at him, he literally gave us the ability to take what we think about God and compare it to what he says about God and see if it lines up. And that's sort of given birth to this question we've been asking throughout the series, 
And that's this, whenever you bump into an, an, an idea about who God is, maybe it's an idea that it's like, whoa, what is that? I don't think I like that. Or an idea that's confusing or an idea that you know, you've always had and yet you're kind of bumping into this going, is this true? Whenever we bump into an idea about Jesus, about God, the question we can ask because of what Jesus did is this, is this understanding of God consistent with the God Jesus knows? Is this understanding of God consistent with the God that Jesus revealed? And that's an incredibly important question because the world we live in is broken. And broken things happen in our world. And so if we gain our knowledge of God based on the brokenness of this world or the brokenness of people around us or the selfishness or the pride or the selfishness of myself or the brokenness inside of me, if we base our understanding of God on that, then, you know, what kind of God are we going to believe in? Because life is a pretty big mess sometimes. I, this is a silly illustration, but, but go with me. I think life is sometimes very much like a roller coaster, okay? You know, sometimes it's awesome. Yeah! And you're like, woohoo, this is the best thing ever. Sometimes it's exhilarating, sometimes it's super fun, and sometimes it's super anxious. It's super tense because you're like, click, 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 click click, 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 and you can't see over the edge like that, and you have no idea where it's gonna go, you don't know how far it's gonna fall, you don't know how much it's gonna rip you around, you don't know what's gonna happen, it's like, oh, sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes it feels just not, not even full of tension, sometimes it just is awful. It's just like, ah, oh, I hate this, get me off this right now. Sometimes a roller coaster is like that. Sometimes life feels like that. Now, I don't know about you and how you feel about roller coasters, but me, let me tell you a little bit about how I feel. I really love roller coasters in my heart. <laughs> I say that because I really do, but my body, my stomach can't handle them at all. I feel sick like this if I get on a roller coaster. It's almost like, and I feel sick for the rest of the day and into the next day. It's ridiculous. Like I can ride a roller coaster maybe once a week. <laughs> maybe. It's terrible. The last time I rode a roller coaster was we were in Tampa at Bush Gardens and there's a ride called the Cheetah Hunt. And it must be one of the coolest roller coasters I've ever ridden. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very fast, it's Cheetah. Um, and, but it's so smooth as well. That's why my stomach can kind of handle it a little bit. But it's so fast, it flies off. And then it feels like you're in a jet kind of going through a canyon like this. It's awesome, love it. But again, I can only do it once. And the last time I rode it was with my kids, um, my two sons. We were there near the end of the day at Bush Gardens, and so kind of there weren't as many people. So we got on this ride. I'm like, okay, here's my one. Come on, boys, we're gonna enjoy my one. We get on it and we go, and it's wonderful. At the end, I'm a little woozy, a little struggling, but I'm okay. <clears throat> and then the boys look around, and there's no one in the lines. Exactly. And so they go, can we do it again? I'm like. Ugh. Okay, let's do it. So we run around, and there's literally no one. And I say, let's go do it again. So Kristen, my wife, she's thinking, okay, he's going to go again. I'm thinking, she knows my stomach. There's no way I can do this. She's going to go with them. When we get there, she goes, enjoy, bye. And I'm like, no, no. But I'm there. I'm like, okay, I think I can do it. Bad mistake, bad mistake, because I got on as soon as it pulls off. Like, I mean, my, my body was going, what are you doing? So it starts to pull off. I start to feel sick immediately. Like, I start feeling woozy. Do you know that, I don't know if you felt this, maybe it's just me, uh, but when you, like, get ripped, ripped around on a roller coaster, my head somehow lose control. It's like 
doing this as it's going, and I can't control it, but I'm feeling that. I'm feeling so sick. I nearly threw up twice on the ride, which would not have been good for anyone else on the ride. And then, this is crazy, my entire body just burst into sweat. Every, I was just drenched, everything. So, it was bad. So we come to the end of the ride, we like slow down, you know, at the end. And my oldest son who's sitting next to me looks over at me. And I don't know, he was, you, I could see in his face how bad I looked. I was, must have been white, no, no color, just drenched going. And he was like, oh no. The worst part about it is there's nobody else in the park. So everybody on that stupid ride starts going, one more time, one. And I'm strapped in and it's horrible. My son's going, no, 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 you can't. And I'm sitting there and the guy's going, one more time, let's do it, one more. Eventually he's like, nope, I've got to leave. And I'm praying, thank you God <laughs> for that moment. It was crazy, but, but I'm telling you that because sometimes life feels like that. And when it does, here's, here's the sad part, when life feels like that roller coaster, sometimes it's awesome, other times it makes you sick. When life feels like that, oftentimes we don't want to show it. You know why? Because we don't want to be the guy who can't handle the ride. And so we, when, when we're scared, when we're feeling sick to our stomach, when we're feeling insecure, when we've got questions and we have to ask them, but it's like, I don't know, can I ask this? Is this stupid? I don't know what to do. We don't wanna show it, partly because we don't wanna show weakness, but another big reason is because we don't feel like there's a place safe enough for us to show that weakness. There's not a place to go, hey, I'm scared. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I don't wanna do this. Hey, I don't know what's happening next. Hey, this is scary. Hey, I'm about to throw up. We don't want to do that because there's not a place safe enough. And so what happens is we pretend. While life's going crazy, we pretend. But because we live in this broken world, there is no escaping the fact that sometimes it's awesome, sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it's petrifying, and sometimes it makes us sick. And the worst part, you know, the roller coaster, at least you know where it starts and where it ends. At least you know it's 90 seconds of, oh, you know that. But in life... Sometimes we've got no idea. Sometimes you don't know, you know, is this gonna be a good part? Is this gonna, is this gonna be a, is this gonna whip me around in a way I can't handle? Is this gonna, you know, I can't see how long the tension's gonna be there. And that, that impacts us in so many ways because sometimes life is great, but we're worried about when it's not because we don't know how long this is gonna go and life is that way. You don't know how many times you're gonna go through the bad and the good and the crazy and you don't know where it's gonna go because it's just like that. And, and here's the thing. Because the ride is influenced by the brokenness in this world, sometimes it throws a curve that you're not expecting. Because it's influenced by the brokenness of people around us, we don't know where it's gonna go. And it's influenced by who we are and our own brokenness and how we respond to things as well. That life really is like that messy roller coaster. And here's the thing, coming back to the point. If we get our picture of God from the roller coaster of life, we're not gonna know who God is because sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes it's, oh, sometimes it's like, I hate this, sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes I have no idea, sometimes I'm scared. And if we get our picture of God from what the roller coaster of life is telling us he's like or we're like or life's like, we're gonna be very confused. No wonder there's so many pictures of God out there. 
Now, one aspect of the roller coaster of life that has really impacted me in, in a huge way is what I want to talk about this morning. But I've also discovered that it's not just me. I thought it was just me, but it's not just me. I think this impacts all of us to some degree or another. And the area is in my roller coaster life is my relationship with my dad. Some of you know some of my story. I've shared some of it before. But um, as growing up, our little family went through so much insecurity. Uh, there was divorce after divorce after divorce, three divorces. We moved 19 times before I was 19 years old. A lot of insecurity. My dad went bankrupt, and so we lost the home. We lost the car. We were functionally homeless for a few months. Um, and one of the struggles that I experienced as a result of all this craziness is that as a young, early adolescent boy, my dad just wasn't there. You know, I'm sure he would have wanted to be, but the brokenness of the family and all that stuff led to the fact that my dad just wasn't there. And, and if what I've learned is that one of the primary influences of how we see God is our dad's. And as how we relate and how we experience, and not just who he is, but how we experience in our perspective of our dads. There's a, a mental health specialist named Janita Ryan <clears throat> who expresses this idea of how our picture of who God is impacts how we, of our dads impact how we see God. And she says this brilliantly. So, so listen to this. She says, our images of God are not the same as our ideas about God. That's important. Images are not abstract ideas. They are pictures. That is, they are powerful combinations of thoughts and feelings. Long before we were old enough to think in words, we thought in pictures or images. And these images are loaded with emotion. From the first days of our life, we began storing memories of our emotional experiences. Images of our mother's face when she was distressed and when she was pleased. Of our father's face when he was angry and when he was laughing. All are stored in our memory. These images become linked with the soothing we felt or with the increased fear we felt in interacting with these important faces and voices. All of our experiences from our earliest days have been stored in our minds. Some of them as emotionally laden images. Now these emotionally laden images, and this is important of parents or of other early caretakers, these emotionally laden images form the basic foundation of our expectations in all relationships, including God. Our images, she says, of God, therefore, may not be the same as our doctrinal affirmations about God. Let me say that again. Our images of God may not be the same as our doctrinal affirmations about God. We may affirm that we believe in a God of love and grace, but our images of God may be of an abusive bully. And the image of God as an abusive bully is likely to have a more powerful impact on our emotions and our behaviors than our doctrinal statements about God because our images of God are rooted in early formative experiences. It's a powerful statement that our images of God form so much of what we actually believe, not what we think we believe, not what we affirm we believe, but what we actually believe. And so, with me growing up in a messy, broken family with divorce and moving and no, insecure, no security and all that, and a father who wasn't around, my picture of father was, was, was broken. My picture of what a dad is was broken. You know, he, he, he wasn't around. He wasn't there. When I needed to ask questions, when I didn't know things, he, he wasn't there. Through the loss of, of all the financial strain and all the other stuff that happened and moving and homelessness for a season, the question came up of his support. 
Would he financially support? Would he be there? Did he care? Would he give what we needed? And so that question about my dad came up in all of that. Another question that, that came up in this is, you know, through divorces, it's, it's conflict. And so there's, there's blame. And so, you know, through all that, the question of what is his character like? Is he the good guy or is he the bad guy? That comes up in the divorce. That comes up in those situations when he's not there. And so questions of, is he actually good? Is he selfish? Does he care about us? Does he, does he want our best? Or, or is he out for his own best? And in all of that mess, another thing is he wasn't there to protect us. Like he wasn't present. And so it's like, how I'm gonna go through all these difficult things and he's not there to protect. And so if it's true that our pictures of our father in some way deeply impact our understanding of God, then my picture of God was headed in a dangerous direction because of all those things that, you know, and, and just looking at it, that's the feelings that are there and the brokenness in the situation. Whether it's true or not, that's what happens. And therefore, my picture is then, so my picture of God was being impacted in a big, big way. I believed in God. I believed in the Bible. I believed in all the stuff you gotta do and all the stuff. Yeah, cool. But who's God? And so that's kind of where my direction was going in my understanding of God. And that's why I'm so grateful for a moment that happened when I was about 16 years old. I remember going to a service, a church service, and the guy who spoke, I don't remember what he said except for two things. I think the title of the message was The Father Heart of God. And it was right in the middle of all the brokenness. The Father Heart of God. God, and he spoke, and again, I don't remember the words, but at the end of this message where he tried to explain that God is a father, at the end, he asked a very pointed question, which I'll never forget, and the question was this, who can't remember the last time their dad hugged them? And I hadn't thought about that, didn't, never thought about it, but as the question was asked, I was like, huh, and I thought about it, and I was like, I can't. I can't remember the last time my dad hugged me. And gosh, something broke on the inside of me and I just I started crying and weeping and the people there that prayed for me. And it was in that moment, it was in that moment that I realized that there was something in me that was missing and there was something in God that he was trying to let me know that he would be a father like no father on this planet could be. And so I was crying and wrestling with all that. But that day, I met God as Father. And that day, I started asking a question. Is my, does my picture, this question that we're asking in a very immature way back then, but I started asking, does my picture of who God is align with the picture of who Jesus said God is? And I started discovering, oh my gosh, this is who he is. He is a father beyond anything I could ever imagine. He is good, he is trustworthy, he loves me. And it changed, it started to change everything in me. And as I've continued to ask that question, does my understanding of God line up with the God Jesus reveals? I'm so grateful that I've begun back then and continue to discover God as this incredible, trustworthy, good Father. I'm so grateful, and it's changed and is still changing my life today. I'm so grateful. Impacted everything. Impacted my marriage, my, my family, me being a dad, all that it is, my insecurity. It's, it's just changed everything and is continuing to change because of who he is and what he said and revealed um, to us. Uh, as a side issue, by the way, the next time I saw my dad after that church service, it was in the driveway, he came to pick us up or I was seeing him, um, I gave him the most awkward teenage man hug you've ever seen in your life, you know, 
you know, I don't know, I know. <laughs> and what's happened since then, every single time we see each other, he pulls me in for a hug. And I'm so grateful for what God's done, not just in my heart, but in our relationship and, and just our understanding. It's, it's very cool. But before I go on, let me, let me ask you a couple questions. <clears throat> First question is this. What is your picture of your father? What is your picture of dad? What is your experience of father? You know, how, how, what is that? And then secondly, what is your picture, your image, emotionally laden image of God? What is your understanding of God? Because this impacts us so much. And, and is your picture of God consistent with the God Jesus reveals? Is your picture of God consistent with the God Jesus reveals? And again, this is so important because there are so many pictures of dads. There are so many experiences of fathers in our world. There are good ones, there are bad ones, there are caring ones, neglecting ones, supporting, abandoning, loving, abusive. There are millions of pictures of what a dad is. And those pictures, all of those pictures, even if you had a good dad, all of those pictures influence our understanding and our emotionally laden image, our picture of God. And if our understanding of God is based on our understanding of dads, and if our understanding of God is based on the roller coaster of this life, then we will never really know who God really is. But if we can accept the reality and the, the idea that Christianity offers, that there is a way to know who God is, that Jesus came to show us and give us that way and ultimately die on a cross to prove his deep, loving care for us, then there is a way to take our images of God and compare them to what Jesus said and go, do they line up? Because yes, I can make my mind up about this is who God is, but is that who he is? And the best, the closest we can come is to understand, no, Jesus said, this is who God is. So what I wanna do for the rest of our time is just look at a couple of places where Jesus describes who God is. Throughout the New Testament, throughout uh, Jesus' ministry, one of the primary things he called God was Father. It's amazing, and he describes it over and over again in his own life, in his own difficult circumstances. He talks to God as Father. In his teaching us, he talks to God as Father, and he says, I wanna invite you to know him as Father throughout that. And in that way, he redefines fatherhood, and he redefines God for us. I wish we had time to go into so many different ones because it's beautiful, but today we're just gonna look at two different ones. And the first one we're gonna look at is, is actually from Jesus' worst, most difficult moment in his life life. It was the night before he was going to be crucified, and he knew he was going to be crucified, and he felt all the pain, all the difficulty, all the anxiety of that. Luke, when he writes his account of Jesus, Luke was a, a physician, and he describes how Jesus, in that garden of Gethsemane, where he was praying, going, I don't know if I can do this. He literally sweat blood. The capillaries in his blood vessels, in his, his sweat glands burst, and blood poured out because he was so stressed and so anxious. It was the worst night of his life. And, and remember, God was invisible to Jesus as well. It wasn't like just, you know, I'm good. And in that moment, he felt abandoned. I mean, he said on the cross the next day, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the worst moment, the worst situation, and he felt like God wasn't there. And in that moment, let me, let me, let me get to it, because in that moment, <laughs> he says something so incredible 
of how he sees God and how he invites us to see God. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. I don't want to do this. I don't want to, this is horrible. This is painful. I don't want to do this. And then Jesus says something to God, and he says it in a way that is just the most eye-opening reality of how he saw God and how we, how he invites us to see God. He said this in verse 36, Abba, Father, he said. Now, the word Abba is, is actually an Aramaic word. It was the word that Aramaic boys would call their dads. And, and most of us, if you've heard of this before, you've probably heard that it means like something like daddy. But it's actually more than that. As you study this, you realize that it's a little deeper, a little more robust than just daddy. And, and the best way to translate it that I found is not just to say daddy, but to say my daddy. It had this feeling of connection, of closeness, of a strength of relationship. And in that moment, this is so crazy, the worst part of Jesus' life, he looks up and he goes, my daddy. And in that, I think what he was expressing in the time where everything was bad, everything was going wrong, everything was painful, he knew that his father, he could express it with that closeness, that intimacy and say, my daddy, you're with me. Right now, it was powerful what he said in the worst moment of his life. He knew that his father was with him. So he says, Abba, Father, and then he says this, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. (laughs) He says, I don't wanna do this. And I know, this is what he invites us to know as well. My daddy, you're with me. Everything's possible for you. You can do anything. You are powerful. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And I think what he was saying there, he was saying, God, I know you are powerful and you can do anything. But then I think he was saying this, but I trust you because you are so trustworthy that in my time when I hate this, don't want this, I know you can see everything and I still trust you. And in this, I think he was telling us, you're with me, you're powerful, and you're trustworthy. Oftentimes, the scripture is used to say, you better submit, you better surrender. I think in this moment, Jesus is teaching us that God is so trustworthy, he's worth surrendering to. Abba, my daddy, you can do anything, but I trust you, so I want what you Want. That's a significant description of who God is as Father. He's with Him, He's powerful, and He's trustworthy. It's amazing. Another place um, that I want to look at today where Jesus describes 
God as Father is actually a place that I never realized was such a beautiful description of Father until I read a book called The Good, uh, the, the Good and Beautiful God by James Bryan Smith. And that book is actually the book that sort of inspired the ideas in the series. So if you wanna go deeper, that book, uh, James Bryan Smith, The Good and Beautiful God. But he says this, he says, Jesus actually reveals the nature of God to whom he prays when in the content of his prayer. So I wanna look at the Lord's Prayer. If you've heard you know, the Lord's Prayer, maybe you've prayed it or heard it. Um, the Lord's Prayer actually reveals the heart of God. James Bryan Smith says, the fatherhood of God is defined by this prayer. And if you think about it, it starts with the words, our Father. And then he prays, and so in this prayer, we can see how Jesus defines his Father. And if we wanna know what our Father, God, is like, we can look at this prayer. So I wanna read this quickly, and then I'm gonna come back and look at the different parts that explain who God is as Father. Matthew chapter six, verse nine is where it's found. The Lord's Prayer is what it's known as. Um, this then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And again, I'd never thought that's a great place to learn what God is like as Father. This sounds like how I'm supposed to pray. But if you look at this, it's incredible. It starts with the words, our Father. It doesn't start with God. It starts with our Father. And the best way to address God according to Jesus is to understand Him as Father. But then that word our is so cool to see because Jesus, yeah, He's God's Son. He can call Him Father easily. But Jesus in this prayer literally invites us to call him Father, just like he calls him Father. And he says, if you trust me, if you, if you accept what I've done for you, then you have the same, the very same standing as I have with God. And you can call him our Father. Me and Jesus, he's our Father. You and Jesus, he's our Father. It's beautiful. And then he says this, hallowed be your Name. So he's describing our Father. He says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is just a fancy way of saying holy. And holy basically means pure. James Bryan Smith describes this brilliantly. He says, holiness has to do with purity. Jesus is teaching us that there is nothing bad about God. Nothing bad about God. God can neither sin nor participate in evil. In other words, God is absolutely good. If he's holy, there is no sin, no bad, no wrong intention, no evil, nothing bad in him. Which, which for you and me, that means something incredible, that every intention he has toward you, every thought he has toward you is good. It's pure. It's holy. It's, it's wonderful, there's no bad, no negative, no evil intent toward us ever if he's holy. So in other words, the first aspect of who God is according to this prayer, as a father, he's a father who's pure, who's good. His thoughts are pure towards you. Continues, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This has to do with God being a king. As father, he's a king, which speaks of his power and authority, that he is powerful. So the first thing is, as, as, as God, he, our Father, He's pure, He's good, He's powerful. He has authority over things. 
but it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. So not only is he pure and powerful, if it's on earth, he's also present. He's with us. He's there with us. One of the names of Jesus in the Christmas story is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this prayer is teaching us that God, who's our father, is a father who is pure. He's got good thoughts, good intentions. There's nothing evil, nothing wrong. He's pure, he's powerful, and he's present. That's who he is, his father. It continues and says, give us today our daily bread, which speaks of the fact that God cares about us and our needs, and he wants to provide. He's pure, he's powerful. He's present, and he wants to provide as a father. My picture of through divorces and loss and all that stuff was, can, can he provide? God is saying, I wanna provide. And forgive us our debts is the next line. Smith says this, at the heart of God is the desire to forgive and to give. God loves to forgive, even more than we long to be forgiven. In other words, he wants to pardon and I'm using the letter P to start all these words to help us remember this as we read this prayer, but, but he's pure, he's good, he's powerful, he's present, he provides, he pardons, and then the last line is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through this we learn that God wants to protect us. That there is nothing in this world that is bigger than him. That our biggest fears, he wants to walk through them with us and protect us from and through those fears and through those difficulties. The specialty that, that, that God shows throughout Scripture, throughout history, is that he can take anything broken and bring redemption to it. He can make beauty out of ashes, life out of death, and even our greatest fear of dying, he's bigger than that and he has conquered that as well that God wants to protect us in all of those things. So in summary, <clears throat> the God Jesus knows is our Father, is a Father who's present, He's pure, He's powerful, and He provides, He pardons, and He protects. That is the God that Jesus reveals. So here's what I think Jesus is trying to tell us. If you think about His life, what He went through, and what he taught is this, that we live in a roller coaster world that's broken and messy and hard and scary and wonderful and awful and bad things happen and good things happen. Jesus experienced all that as well. But the God Jesus reveals in that world, in those experiences, pure, only good in him, only good no negative, no evil, no bad intent ever, only good. He's pure, he's powerful, he's present. He cares so deeply for you and me that he chose to die on the cross, revealing the depth of his care and the lengths that he will go to to show it and to show how he wants to provide, how he wants to pardon, and how he wants to protect us as we navigate the brokenness around us and within us. One, one thing to note is that it never says, and Jesus felt this, and Jesus' earliest followers felt this, that it never says that he would protect us from brokenness. Brokenness happens to all of us, but it does say that he would protect us through that brokenness, in that brokenness, and he has the ability to redeem it all as well. In other words, I think what Jesus was saying is that the God that he knows is a good, good, trustworthy 
Father. I'm so grateful that I have experienced that. I'm so grateful that in my own brokenness of our own family and my own broken picture of who God is and Father is and all that, I have felt Him come in and carefully, kindly, caringly, presently, powerfully love me and change my understanding of who He is. And I felt the strength and the hope and the help that comes from that, how he's taken a messy experience of relationships, a messy experience of divorce, a messy experience of my childhood. And he, and this is amazing, I'm so grateful for this, how he didn't let that define me, but he let who he is define me. I'm so grateful I have discovered that he is a father. I'm so grateful that Jesus came to show that. I'm so grateful that I still don't know enough about it and I'm still learning. I'm so grateful that he has pure thoughts and pure intentions and pure actions toward me, that he's powerful in that way, that he's present with me in the mess of it all. And I'm so incredibly grateful that he provides, protects, and pardons all my mess and my wrong responses and all that as well. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And again, I, I'm using those, the, those words that start with P to try and help us remember the God Jesus knows and the prayer. And so here's what I want us to do because here's the thing. Our muscle memory in this world has been so defined by our experiences. And when bad things happen, something in us goes, and we have a picture of God. When something happens, our muscle memory of who we think God is sometimes takes over, even if our thoughts are different. So, so I would love for us to try and practice some muscle memory that'll pull us down this road, that'll allow us to see the God Jesus knows in the way that God was described by Jesus. So I wanna encourage all of us this week to go and read and reread the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter six. Read and reread it, maybe at least twice a day. Read and reread and think about those six ideas about our Father. He's pure, He's good, He's powerful, He's present, He provides, He pardons, and He protects. He's pure, He's powerful, He's present, He provides, He pardons, and He protects. And as you read it and reread it, understand this is the God that Jesus knows. Clearly, this is how He describes it. My roller coaster world is trying to tell me differently, but this is who He is. This is who he is. And if we know him that way, we will experience the roller coaster differently. I'll tell you a quick story. There was another ride in Bush Gardens called the Falcon's Fury. And it's this crazy tower that's 335 feet in the air. 335 feet. And as you sit on these things and it pulls you all the way up and you kind of lose your breath as you go up. And then what happens is, as you're sitting up there, it tilts the seats backwards, so you're looking down at every one of those 335 feet. And then it drops you, and apparently you go 60 miles per hour straight down at the ground. It's scary, but it's awesome. My one son was like, uh-uh, not gonna do it. Not gonna do it, not gonna do it. And eventually I convinced him. And you know the only reason he did it? It's because we were sitting next to each other. And he could face the falcon's fury and the fear of it all. And I know that as a dad, I am nothing like God. My purity, I'm more selfish than I, I wanna be. My, my power is very limited. My presence, I'm not there always. My provision, it's limited. My pardoning is, is, is skewed. My protection is not as good as his. But if my son can face that fear, 
by sitting next to me. What will our lives look like if we face the roller coaster of our life knowing that this is the God, this is the God who's with us? I think our experience of all of that craziness, the fear, the pain, the frustration, the hurt, knowing that this Father who was there in the garden with Jesus, this Father who's present, pure, and powerful, provides, protects, and pardons, that's who He is. That's how we can live. What if we knew Him that way? We're gonna end with a song called Good, Good Father. And here's what I'd love for us to do in this moment as we end with a song. I'd love for us to consider, what is my picture of God? Not my affirmation. What is my visceral image, emotionally laden image of God? And does it line up with the God Jesus knows? Because he is trustworthy. He is so trustworthy and he is good. So as the band sings a song, won't you think about that? And then ask God, would you show me who you really are? Let me pray for us as the band comes out. Father, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for who you are. I know that I have taken my thoughts about who you are from my own experiences. I know we all have in some way or shape. Father, thank you that you came to earth in in Christ, that Jesus, you came to earth to let us know what God is really like. And you went to the lengths of dying on a cross for us. God, help us know you according to what Jesus taught. Help us know you as Father, that you're with us. No matter what we're going through, God, let us know that. Our muscle memory is yearning to pull us in a different direction. Help us gain the muscle memory to know you as Father. Help us know you as this trustworthy Father. No matter what I'm facing, like Jesus in the garden, no matter what I'm facing, you're trustworthy. And I can say, my daddy, I trust you. Help us know that in Jesus' name.
What if that's really who he is? <laughs> what if he really is that good, good father? who's pursuing you, who's pursuing me, who's pursuing our misunderstandings of him, going, hey, 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 this is who I am. And he's asking us to go, hey, I know, and I don't blame you for the thoughts. It makes sense why you think that, but can you know who I am? What if that's who he really is? And then what if, what if we could live our lives based on that and not a broken picture of him as father? What if we could live our lives like that? That's the hope. I think that's why Jesus came. That's what he invites us into, to call him our Father. So thanks for being here. Thanks for journeying this journey with us, discovering the God Jesus knows. And we look forward to seeing you next week again for part four. Thanks so much. Have a great week.